Hello, it's Robert Bathurst here. I was one of the first guests on My Time Capsule, and Mike has asked me to tell you that you can now listen to the podcast ad-free by subscribing to Acast Plus. Details of how to join are in the description of each episode. Mike says it's very reasonably priced. In fact, Mike says it's a bargain. And who am I to disagree? Locked here in his cellar. Anyway, for a small subscription, Acast Plus, My Time Capsule, ad-free. Free. Unlike me. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. Hello, and welcome to another episode of My Time Capsule. My name's Mike Fenton-Stevens, and My Time Capsule is the podcast where people tell me five things from their life that they wish they had in a time capsule. They pick four things that they cherish and one thing that they'd like to bury and forget. My guest in this episode is the American comedian Ricky Sim. Ricky is a comedian based in New York, and he's originally from Malaysia. He was born with a cleft palate and moved with his family to New York as a young man. As a stand-up, he's performed at various venues in New York, Los Angeles, Toronto, and Kuala Lumpur. He's performed at the New York Comedy Festival, New York Queer Comedy Festival, and Asian Comedy Festival. As a comedy writer, Ricky was selected to be the 2021 recipient of the Saturday Night Live Scholarship. This January, Ricky will be performing his one-man show, Coming Out to Dead People, at Soho Theatre in London. Coming Out to Dead People is a raunchy and darkly comic show, combining stand-up and storytelling. It's an hour-long, autobiographical, and explores the time when Ricky was grappling with the decision to come out to his Chinese-Malaysian immigrant mother, just as she was diagnosed with terminal cancer. So, I think you can tell from that that Ricky is not your run-of-the-mill comedian. So let's see what five things from his life he'd want in a time capsule, and what that reveals about him. Here is Ricky Sim. Hello. Hello, Ricky. How are you? I'm good, Mike. How are you? I'm good. Where are you, then? I am based in New York, Queens. Ah, fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) It's so exciting, don't you think? It is. (laughs) Here we are, other sides of the world. That's it. That's it. We just do it. Yep. I don't know, maybe that's a sign of age, but for me, it's Star Trek. (laughs) (laughs) Are you looking forward to coming over? I am. I am. Is that the first time you've come to London? It's my third time. Third time. Yeah. To perform or just to visit? Uh, before I was there to, well, the first time I was there to visit, the second time I was there to preparing for the uh, Edinburgh Fringe. And right, then yeah. 
Yeah, and then and then this time is you know to perform. What did you think of Edinburgh? Oh, it was it was so fun. I mean, it was very overwhelming, but at the same time, it was really fun. It was yeah. I, I just I never got to like just like perform like every day like forty plus shows straight like throughout yeah. the month. Yeah, yeah, that was that was amazing. Yes, it's weird, isn't it, for a stand-up? Because normally it's next Thursday I'm doing this, and then on Saturday I'm doing this club, and then I'm going there. And to be in the same venue and just to keep repeating a show, did you find it useful? It, it de- definitely, uh, I did find it useful and helped like, with like, changing. Like, if there's any like, part of the script that I wanted to modify, like, like, that's the time to do it, right? Yeah. That's the time to experiment, yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And it's instant. You do it one night, you wake up the next morning and think, hmm, I might try this tonight, and then you're on. Great. Right. Unless a picket sells is really low, then I'll be like, all right, I need to go fire. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. Wow. Yes, it's a tough thing. It's a, you know, I think that I'll be a very useful thing for you coming over because I, I'm absolutely your middle-class white man from England. And you'll see if, you know, there's that cultural difference. It, obviously, there's bound to be. Yeah. <laughs> and it's interesting to find those things, isn't it? And actually to see what works and what doesn't work. Yeah, yeah. I, definitely, I, I think this time in London, I definitely will be a little different. Like, I have to like, kind of experiment different ways of like, promoting mm-hmm. shows as opposed to Edinburgh Fringe, where it's like 3,000 shows just concentrated in one city and yeah. everyone around the world just there to watch show. Yeah. So, so it's, just, it's actually a lot, it's overwhelming, but it's a lot easier to like promote shows where it's mm-hmm. like, Doing show in New York or I imagine in London as well, probably gonna be a little bit trickier to like actually like because there's so many other things going on. Although you're right in the center of it, I mean, Soho Theatre is is absolutely the core of stand up comedy in in London. I think well, the Comedy Store, obviously, yes. But as far as acts coming and performing, that's the place where everybody goes, and it has such a regular and um, a dedicated audience. I yeah. think it'll, it'll work well. I think also you have the great advantage, of course, is that almost, well, as is true almost all over the world, everybody understands the culture of New York. Yeah, yeah. Well, we think we do. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I do. I mean, I've been living here since 1999, so I, I right. sometimes I still figuring out what New York really is. <laughs> yes. And it's such a fantastic combination of subject matters that you can talk about from your own life. Oh, thank you. Yeah. It makes you completely unique. That's what I like about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think, I, and and I think also, uh, probably also may, maybe a little bit of a uh, advantage in the way that I was. Like, there's not a lot of like stories and narrative really explore like in this area. So I'm kind of you know happy that be able to like get this opportunity to explore in this area and also like share my story with with folks. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, because it's that combination of now living in America, being American, Mm -hmm. and yet also being Asian, and then being gay. Yes. You know, and as you say, I'm I'm trying to actually, I don't know how big a thing it is in your life, the fact that you were born with a cleft palate, because as we know, and as you say in your act, it's quite a common experience for people. Yeah. It's far more common than you'd think, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it it is. They say that every three minutes a child is born with a cleft. Yeah, it's pretty common. Yeah, I, I remember there was one time... And, and this is such an interesting thing among the people born cleft. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I didn't realize this. Like, so there was one time I was performing stand-up in Lower East Side. And then a fellow comedian kind of walked by. And then he just kind of looked at me. And I looked at him. And he was like, you were born with cleft, right? I was like, <laughs> yeah. 
what's going mm-hmm. on? And he was like, I was also born with cleft. And, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, right. Like, like something that like, I guess we, we were like kind of look out for from each other. Yeah, yeah. A, a little bit like gaydar, but like cleft palate. <laughs> <laughs> did, did that make him fancy you more? That would be interesting, wouldn't it? Well, but, you know, possibly there's another app. It's a variation, isn't it? Maybe there's another app. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then there's also another type people will look out like for people want cleft palate is as dentists. Sometimes I'll be like, like, like just like doing like writings at Starbucks. And then the guy would just walk by and he was just like, and then he started talking to me because, you know, <laughs> he doesn't want to come off awkward. Right. Mm-hmm. And then, and then at first I'll just be like, oh, okay. This guy is pretty good looking, right? Maybe he's hitting on me. And then <laughs> five minutes in, he was like, oh yeah. So I'm actually studying at a dental school. And then like, I read about Clef Pilot on my textbook. So you were born in Clef Pilot, with Clef Pilot, right? I was like, oh. It would seem rather forward if he stopped you and said, oh, do you, do you mind if I look in your mouth? Right. <laughs> <laughs> also, I'm, I'm glad I can be, you know, helpful in your dental study. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and you never know. Don't give up on it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so the idea of this podcast is that you choose five things from your life that you wish you had in a time capsule. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you had a chance to think about it? Definitely. I spent a few days thinking about it. And and man, like, this is actually quite an interesting thought process because personally, I hoard. Uh, so, so I'm like, <laughs> five things, only five things? Like, can I get more? But I, I yeah, I, I pick five things. I think like first thing is uh, my mom's cookbook. I was born and raised in Malaysia and mm-hmm. spent about like first 14 years there and then moved here. Um, and honestly, I can't really find a lot of, um, they, they are, they are great Malaysian food here, but mm-hmm. not, not the same compared to like in Malaysia and especially not the same compared to like the home cooking, uh, meals. Yeah. So, uh, my mom loved like collecting like newspaper articles. She likes to like cut out like, like recipe from a newspaper or magazine and she would just like tape them on, on a notebook. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, it's like very, I mean, right now this day we usually just like bookmark it on our safari, right? Like, but yeah, like yeah. that, that that's how she used to do it. So, so a lot of those like cuisine is like, you know, she'll like make notes on it. So I, I definitely, that'll be what the first thing that I will like keep it. Uh, yes. And is she one of those people that uh, my wife does the same thing, but she never quite follows the recipe. She oh. always goes, mm, now I think we need a little, little bit more of that. Yeah. Yeah. They don't. It, it's, it's sort of like, <laughs> it's just like a new creative project in a way. It's like, all right, this is the, where we jump off. And then, and then this is going to be my new dish. Right. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. She did not follow. Yeah. (laughs) I think there must be professional chefs all over the world who would love to get hold of those collections of books that actual proper cooks have done over the years and and to look at the variations in them because everybody's is individual, isn't it? Yeah. And then everybody kind of have their own interpretation of different meal or dish. Yeah. Affected by what they had when they were young, of course. Yep. So yep. your mother's cooking will be absolutely influenced by her mother's cooking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or maybe like her mother-in-law's cooking. Right. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> and I think, I think like also it's a very, uh, we call it like the Hakka, like, like it's, it's a type of like Southern 
Chinese cuisine that mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot of like Hakka, like, like, like Chinese people in Southeast Asia, like Malaysia, Singapore. Uh, yeah. And then I remember last time I went to London, I would say London has a lot more great Malaysian restaurant right. than in New York. And I was just like, oh man, I wish I could <laughs> sp- like, spend more time here and then actually like, like try out different Malaysian restaurants in London. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, it's surprisingly cosmopolitan, isn't it? Mm-hmm. In a way, you have a, that sort of Mary Poppins view of London. Everybody does, even Londoners, I think. Yeah. Or Paddington, you know. But actually, it's a wonderful mixing pot of all sorts of people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think also because a lot of folks in Malaysia, we usually like love to like study in UK or Australia. Not mm. a lot came to New York. Uh, no. So I think that's why a lot more like variety of Malaysian food in London more than in New York, I would say. Yeah. yeah. I think it's just like, a lot more people like, like from Malaysia usually prefer to like go to like uh, UK and Australia. Right. At least in the the time that I moved to New York, it was like what, uh, late 90s, early 2000. At least right. during that time, there were a lot more uh, people. Like I remember when I was, when my mom decided to uh, immigrate to New York, my mm. dad was just like, why, why US? Like who go to US? <laughs> People go to UK. That was that conversation. Did she explain why she chose it? Her uh, family were all here. Right. So basically my uncle um, moved to US as an engineer and then he sponsored uh, his wife, which is mm. you know, my, my aunt. And my aunt then, you know, like, like sponsored my, uh, her sister, which is my mom. Right. Yeah. And how was it when you first got there? It was interesting. <laughs> it wasn't what I expected. Um, I, I, I also because I, when I first moved here, I lived in uh, Chinatown. Uh, so not Chinatown, New York, but Flushing, mm-hmm. which is like a second, a second Chinatown in, in New York, uh, yeah. in Queens. And yeah, I remember I didn't really like, like in my in my high school like we. It is predominantly people of color and immigrants, and then like uh, all of us, like we kind of have our own English as second language program and also our own like native language program. So like mm. if students who still need to like learn English, like we could take let's say chemistry in Chinese or Korean. Right. So it was a. It's not like what I saw or like you know like. TV show back then as Sabrina yeah. the Teenage Witch where you know you have like <laughs> shock and like you know school sports and uh, mm. it's nothing like that it, I had a very different like kind of like high school life but that's very yeah. forward isn't it and actually clearly a good high school mm-hmm. but you came out of that and went off and trained as a lawyer oh yeah I, I did <laughs> well, it was for you say oh yeah I did but that's <laughs> that's impressive you come to a foreign country at the age of 14 You've, yeah. You're learning the language to a large extent. Yeah. And then there you are taking a degree in law. Yeah. I, I think at the time, I uh, I mean, I, I, I love my law school experience. I met so many great friends mm. uh, from law school. Yeah, I think I think it's one of those things. It's just I wanted to, it's something that I wanted to go for. And unfortunately, in the US, law degree is a graduate degree as opposed to in UK or in Malaysia law degree is a bachelor or, or, mm. or you know right degree, so I think it was one of those like oh I wanted to learn the subject matters but I can't do it unless I go for a graduate degree, so right. yeah I went for it. <laughs> yeah, well congratulations. I Thank I you. studied law as well as a young man. Oh you did? So, oh yeah. Okay. It's it's funny how 
you can you can do these things and then throw them away almost <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> well in a way joke writing is very similar to legal analysis <laughs> very good it is I, yeah. I have not thrown them away i don't think so <laughs> no you're right it is a question of detail isn't it and in a mm-hmm. way semantics yeah. Which, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. you're turning things around another way in order to make them humorous rather than using them as a means of defending someone or prosecuting or whatever. Right, right, right. I totally agree. Yeah. A skill with words. So do you cook yourself? I try. <laughs> <laughs> I try. I, I think I think I think that's especially during the pandemic, that's when I appreciated that like like the home home cook uh meals uh even more. Um I, I used to cook, but then, you know, with like law school and then after that, it was like corporate job. It just, it just, the lifestyle just wasn't allowed, like, for, yes. for like spending so much time cooking, especially in New York where you commute an hour and a half a ride to go to work. Mm-hmm. And then after work, you might have OT and then, and then might go to gym and then come home. Just yeah. absolutely toast. Yeah. Go to bed, get up again. Yes. Yeah. I think, I think after the pandemic, I started cooking a lot more and yeah. And I try to cook more food that my, my mom or my family used to cook back home. Well, then yeah. having that cookbook in there will be very useful. So yeah. we'll put that in as the first thing, Ricky. That's lovely. Good. What's number two? Uh, number two I put is photo stickers. I don't know if you know what that is. So back, I think like in early 2000, I mean, even right now, we still have a lot of those like Asian photo booth yeah. where people just go in and then like a f- bunch of friends would take picture with like different kind of cute <laughs> photo frames or like yes. cartoons on it. And then, and then the, and then, and then the photo, maybe like four or six photos and it would just come out in a sticker and then you and mm. then and everyone just like cut it out and then they share it among the friends yeah so i used to do that a lot with uh with my <laughs> friends in in high school and and my ex-boyfriend um that time so it was one of those things that we when we in high school like if especially when we in senior year we um we about to graduate so we didn't really care and then we'll start like cutting classes like like the last <laughs> or second to last period and we didn't even do anything that's like that's exciting. Like we, we would just like cut the class and then yeah. like, like sneak out to a photo booth <laughs> uh, to take photo. It was yeah. looking back. It's kind of lame actually. Well, uh, it's, it's very sweet. <laughs> I can see that. But I mean, do you think that's a world that will just disappear? I mean, it's amazing that they've actually survived, isn't it? Because when you think everybody I, has phones, everybody can take a picture, you can all share them. They have all these apps on that you can, you know, make your face do anything. Now, I, I, I mean, honestly, those photo, photo stickers or photo booth—they're definitely the predecessor of like Snapchat, right? Yeah. And I think, especially in, in like Chinatown and like Flushing, like we used to have quite a few stores that just have like ten to fifteen photo booths right. in the establishment, uh, and people would just like go in and take photos. And I don't think we have. I don't even see any of that right now. I don't know no. in London it used to have that. Yeah, I don't I don't see that a lot. But I still like the quality is still pretty good. Like, like yeah. I recently came across some of the photo stickers that I took back then. Like the, the color is still it hasn't faded yet. 
Okay. No. And I think they must have had good lenses in them. You, you sort of imagine they wouldn't do, wouldn't you? They'd just be producing a simple photograph. But actually, I think they did have good lenses in them because I've got photo booth photographs of me with yeah. my children, which we yeah. would go in and do a sequence of just silly faces. Yeah. And I really treasure them. But they're really good quality. And they do survive well. Yeah. And, and their lighting was amazing. Yeah, like, like all my teenage acne were gone. <laughs> <laughs> it's that great, boom, that right, great flash right. of light, isn't it? <laughs> Again, that, that's like that's like the the nineteen nineties filter, right? As opposed to using a filter on our phone, like yeah. it's, it's we would go to photo booth and take good picture, and then like I think I think I might have used some of those like photo stickers, photo as like. My profile picture of my for my dating profile <laughs> because because the lighting was just so good, right? Yeah, you think I can't get this on my phone? No, right. Well, that we were you were using flip phone back then. There was no camera. No, <laughs> you do occasionally see those booths, even in here where I live. You know, so mm-hmm. occasionally I see them and I, I look at them rather longingly. Yeah, I wish for a time when when we would go in and do it again. I love those photographs. I have them in my wallet. Oh, you do? Uh, yeah, I've had them Aww. in my wallet for years and years. My favourite photograph ever taken of my son, who, you know, I'll, when you tell you how long ago this was, my son is the producer of this podcast and is in his 40s. Uh-huh. I have a photograph of him. He's about 18 months old and he's just peering above the, the top of the photograph. <laughs> so you can just see this little red nose and his eyes. <laughs> With no idea what's going on at all. It's the innocence of it. He has no so awareness. Adorable. Then this flash. Poof. <laughs> it's my favourite photograph. I love it. Yeah, yeah. And, and also like the fact that we, it, it, you need to pay money to retake it that makes those photos, those moments even more like treasurable. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I love the idea that you will have a group of friends from that time who may all individually have those photographs have, that you've shared out amongst yourselves and that they still have them, even though they don't see you. Yeah. Well, I don't know if they still have them. That's a good question. I yeah, you don't them. know, do you? <laughs> I mean, if but you like, treasure them, if you look back on it as fondly as you do, then maybe they do as well. Yeah. Yeah, I think they do. I think they do. Mm-hmm. I think at the time, like, you know, like one sticker would have like maybe 12 photos and then, all five or six of us, you just pick which one we have the best angle in. Yes, and you we'll look best that in. One. <laughs> right, right. So maybe whatever picture that they have is not going to be what I look good at. <laughs> Side of a face, yes. I <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Well, let's put the photo booth in and uh, we shall treasure that as number two. Yeah. Okay, Ricky. So uh, let's move on to number three. Right, I hope you're enjoying my conversation with Ricky. We do have to take a short ad break here, but we'll be back very soon. Please stay with us. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? 
Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome back, and thanks for sticking around. It's worth it, I promise you, as we get to hear the rest of the things Ricky Sim would like to have in his time capsule, and whether he can think of something he'd like to bury and forget. Number three, I have a, a iPod video. It's, it's all the nostalgia <laughs> really uh, objects. Is. Yeah, uh, yeah. I I think so. I think back then, I, when I was in high school slash college like i i was only like, sort of like doing part-time and, and and getting allowance and the ipad video was like the first quote-unquote expensive thing that i i bought um yeah for myself and like and and i was kind of like very proud of that i was like oh okay I, i'd be able to buy something you know but mm-hmm. using my own money right and then when i went to college i was i went to college in the bronx so i would take the bus from queens to the bronx was almost like an hour and a half or right, even two hours it? bus ride. It was transferred three times with the buses, and then the iPad video was was I, I have to have it. Like, like it, it's mm-hmm. something that really keep me company. And then um, I don't know. It also like it's something that we don't do anymore. It's like back then when we had the iPod or or even MP3 player or CD player. Mm-hmm. If we sit with our friend, we'll share the other earpod <laughs> yes. with our friend. And I was like, oh, listen to this song, right? And and it's it's I feel like that moment of like sharing and using the same headphone mm-hmm. is such a it's such a sweet moment that we don't I don't think we can ever reproduce that like no. in this day. No. You do occasionally. I see children walking home from school and I see say two girls, one will hand over a, a half the right. headset. So people still do it, but um, I think you're right. It's a different world, isn't it? Music is a different thing now. I suppose when they started Spotify, the idea was that you were going to make playlists and share them with people like you used to where you'd make a tape cassette and yeah. you'd give it to someone as a gift. Yeah. This is the music I think I'd like to share with you. But it's not yeah. the same, is it? It's not, it's not. And I think... I think also back then, like uh, my my ex boyfriend and I would like like commute to to the Bronx uh, mm-hmm. uh, 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 every week, and then even though like, it was early two thousand, so like like we were all we were like both closeted, so like that's like our version of holding hands, in <laughs> yeah, like, sharing that headphone and listening to the same song. Um, I suppose in a world where you wouldn't have felt you wouldn't have felt comfortable to holding hands at that time. Yeah, I mean, even now, I I, I mean, I'm not really like. The PDA type of guy, anyway. But then mm-hmm. that time was definitely not comfortable. That was early two thousand. Uh, yeah, 
you know, things have changed a lot in, in yes. New York, but, but we were not living in Manhattan. Like we were living in outer borough of mm-hmm. New York. So it was really different. Yeah. It's a different country. <laughs> Yes. It's like a different country. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Quite. Yeah. I think that's true of all those places that people describe as being, well, that's what it was like then. So, for example, in the 1960s in London, people would talk about Carnaby Street and, mm-hmm. you know, you'd see Paul McCartney walking down and then Mick Jagger and it was all, you know, that's what it was like and everybody was wearing flares and crazy clothes. Mm-hmm. But I think probably about 150 people were doing that. Mm-hmm. And everybody else is watching from outside. Right, 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 right. It's okay when people were like looking at other people to do it. Stepping in and becoming one of those people is not easy, is it? Yeah, no, it's not. <laughs> no. no. I, I think at that time, like speaking of iPad, I even, I would even, because it's so common for friends to like just, like if, I, if I'm listening to my iPad and then a, a friend from, from church, just like walk by and just like pick up like, what are you listening to so <laughs> i would like download i'll make sure my songs are more <laughs> quote-unquote sexuality well-rounded as in like so like i'm i wasn't just listening to like britney i wasn't just listening to madonna madonna right or kind mm. of and i i have a like, biscuit i have like eminem and like mm-hmm. 50 cent you know like, i have all those <laughs> songs in the ipod right it's just to make sure that when they're listening to it, I was like, wait, what are you listening to? <laughs> <laughs> are you saying you didn't want it to be too obvious? Right, 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 right. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. Um, there's a difference between the way people listen to iPods as well, isn't there? Some people would put it on shuffle because they like the surprise of it, but other people liked to have it as a thing that they knew what was coming next almost. I set up my own playlist and then I shuffle it. Ah, right. So the songs are not going to disappoint you, but you don't know which order they're coming in. Like, depending on my mood, like, if I'm, like, commuting, then I, I know I'm probably going to take a nap. Then I'm probably not going to not gonna have, like, like some disco bangers from Britney yeah. on, on the playlist. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I'll shuffle them. I usually shuffle them, yeah. Right. Yes. Now, it's very interesting you should bring this up because my grandson, whenever we go in the car, he always says, can we put the radio on? He loves having music playing. And my son gave him a lift to school the other morning. He's eight. And he said, do you know, my brain is only really fully active when I'm listening to music. Mm. Isn't that interesting? So now, because my son doesn't want him to go into him watching YouTube all day long, Mm -hmm. he now is looking to buy an MP3 player. Oh, wow. Yeah, so things are going backwards, as it were. I like that, though. I wish I'm not holding my iPhone because, like, because I I have ADHD, like so like like a lot of time I also like need music to uh to help me like focus on work. But then like if I'm using my iPhone, when I'm listening to a song and then when I hear something, I was like, oh yeah, I should Google what that means. Uh-huh, yes. Uh, and then I, that just yeah, that just kind of like lead me to a whole different path. Mm, it's a different activity, isn't it? Yeah. And also at the same time, you get a text message, it tells you. You get a phone call, it interrupts it. Yeah. Whereas an iPod, that's it, you're there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. especially a lot of time, I'm, I get very particular with like the song that I listen to. I was like, wait, like, does that song play like that in a music video version? And I'll go on YouTube to like watch music video. <laughs> yeah. Why? Why? I don't need to. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I have several iPods around my house in drawers, and I haven't used them for years, so I may well get some out and see if they'll charge. 
I really like the idea of just sitting and listening to music on an iPod. Yeah, or, or you don't have to, or, or your son don't have to buy the MP3 player. You can just use the iPod. True, <laughs> I know. Yeah. I may be able to save my son a lot of money. <laughs> okay, so we've got uh, two things left. One of them is something you'd like to keep, and one of them is something you'd like to forget. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll do the thing I would like to forget uh, okay. first. Mm. Uh, because I can't decide on the last thing that I want to keep. <laughs> but yeah, for, so for the thing that I love to forget, it's a train ticket from New York to New Jersey. Um, so I used to, after I graduated from college, I, I used to work in New Jersey and I would commute from Queens to Jersey every day mm-hmm. for two and a half hour each ride. Oh my word. Five hours a day. Five hours a day. It was probably, I mean, the people there were, great it was a great job it was great food to have that job but it just a job that i knew i was like it's not gonna be a good fit like like i don't want to continue working here it's not something that i enjoy and i mm. literally have nothing else going on beside commuting and working mm. uh, but then i end up staying there for two and a half or even three years wow it was way more than i should have stayed and and it's definitely something that i Looking back, it's like, all right, like, next time, you know, like in the future, if you know something is not working out, just leave. Yeah, just yeah. try to like, like, like leave. But I think the mentality at the time was, oh, it's your first job out of college. Like everyone have to work for at least two to three years on your resume, mm-hmm. on your CV, or else your life is just, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> There was a saying back then, right? That that like, oh, like you you have to like work in a place for like two to three years to show that you are a dedicated, hardworking employee. Mm-hmm. Um, and also at that time, I was already had my mindset on going to law school, but because of that work situation, where I just basically did not have time to to do anything else. No. Uh, had I left that job earlier and just focused on going to law school and just look for another job. Like I would have gone to law school earlier, mm. um, but that, that it was a it was a banking job. Uh, probably right now has already been overtaken by artificial intelligence. Uh, <laughs> probably yes. Probably yeah. yeah. And people talk about jobs for life, but of course there are people who fall into those things. They and, are, yeah. and then they stay with it. So at least you had the nerve to go. I'm going to stop. I'm moving on. I need to do something else because it's possible to suddenly find yourself at 65 and go. Why have I been spending five hours a day, five days a week on a train? Yeah. It's very easy to feel comfortable on something that you don't like. Mm-hmm. Uh, because there's always that mindset of, all right, this is at least this is the evil that I know. And I don't yeah. know what's going to be worse out there. And it's so hard to like break out from that, that cycle. And I almost feel like it's sort of like a train. I had to like kind of train myself to like not, to like always like, or assess like my my own satisfaction and my happiness like like mm. in each project or job that I work at uh, yes. uh like after my twenties yeah I think I think it was also has to do with the fact that I was in my twenties and I was I was definitely a lot more confused and a lot more like in com- mm-hmm. like not that confident with like direction that I take so I was just like mm-hmm. oh yeah let me just stay here yeah yeah but then you did it again you broke away again. I mean, having gone to law school, having qualified, you then thought, do you know what? I'm going to become a stand-up comedian, which is an extraordinary thing to do. Yeah. I, I mean, in a way, like, had I not gone through that first job, 
like like I knew what it felt like to kind of break away from something that I don't feel comfortable with. I probably wouldn't be able to break away from like my law corporate job mm-hmm. to do like writing and comedy. Like like yeah. because it's like or I have done it before. The end of the world did not come. Uh, I'm still like I'm still here, right? So so it's fine. I can do this and yeah. just you know have to take it one step at a time. I think especially as an immigrant, it's just not something that we were taught like like growing up because like everyone in the family would just have to like learn how to survive and how to like mm-hmm. just make sure to have a stable job. So that's a difficult thing for your parents to accept when you say, "Do you know what? I'm going to stop now and I'm going to do this." Completely unreliable thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, like, I think a lot of my family member were like, surprised. Uh, mm-hmm. Even the first job, I, I think, but, uh, when I was trying to quit, and like majority of my family were just like strongly opposed to it. They were like, "Oh yeah, it's two thousand eight. It's financial crisis. Like, <laughs> where are you going? Right, you have a job, <laughs> right? Well, well done." Because you also had to say, and I'm gay. <laughs> right, right. Which one is harder? You tell me. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, actually, that's a good question. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> they all say, we know that, but what about the job? <laughs> Fantastic. Well, let's put that train journey. Oh, my word. Yeah. Did you also have a like moment where you just like, all right, I decided not to pursue law and and do art and performance, yeah? Yes, I did, yes. Um, strange enough, my father had always hankered after being a performer. So when oh, I said yes. it, okay. he went, oh, great, which is lovely, isn't it? Yeah, 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 that's great. My mother never understood it. She <laughs> to, to the day she died, whenever I got a job, she would say, oh, that's nice. Are they paying you? Yeah, that's usually the first question everyone asks. Yep, that's mother's for you. <laughs> okay, so that's yep. going in and that's going to be buried and forgotten, <laughs> that journey on the train. Thank goodness. So we have one final lovely thing to put in. Yeah, it's a flip phone that I had when I was studying in Japan. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think I spent uh, six months uh, when I went to college uh, studying in Japan. I think that was the time that after, uh, so it's a little bit related to my show as well. It was uh, after my mom passed away and then uh, I went to Japan to study. And that was a time of sort of a uh, first time I went abroad. I mean, after I immigrated to the U.S. And, and the mm. first time I went abroad after that. And also like sort of a healing trip in a way because it was just a time that I would kind of look into myself and say, oh, what, what is it that I want to do and how do I prepare for the rest of my, uh, like, like the time that, you know, after my past. And I think also like to grief. I think it was, it was, it was really also sort of like a, a grieving, healing uh, journey, uh, even mm. though I was, I was there as a, as a change student. Yeah. Right. Yes. When did your mother die? Um, in 2006. 2006. Uh, yeah. So not long after you'd moved to the US, really? Not that long. Yeah, it's almost like seven years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. Oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. Um, it's a very difficult period, isn't it? Everybody deals with grief in a different way. And I don't think there's any rules to it. No, there there isn't. And I mean, it definitely never go away and it evolve. Um, and at some point, everyone just kind of have to embrace it 
kind of like your sexuality. Like yeah. at some point, it just become part of you. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I think at the time, it was just like because coming to the U.S. was like I was under like my mom, but which would be the one who was like making sure that all right, I got a place to live. I you know like like you know like how like settle. Uh, me moving to Japan was the first time that I had to do that to myself. Like I didn't have my mom at the time, but at the same time, it just it's just very refreshing for me to get to do that because I, the time that my mom was like, she like the family would just all want to be there for her, and then mm. which is great, right? I think after that, it's just a moment that all right, now I need to like have a moment for me. Yes. Uh, Away from this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's yeah, a long yeah. way away, isn't it? It is. She's going to a, a very different world. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, mm. definitely. It was also a great country. Uh, uh, I was in Tokyo. It was also a great city for me to kind of like grieve because in a way it's like, right, there's so many things going on. The language is totally foreign and the culture is very foreign. So I was able to kind of like just be immersed with like, a, a very new place, a new mm. environment, and that helped me a lot. So having it as a distraction as well. Yeah. There's always something to distract you. Yeah. I remember a similar thing when my mother died. I'm quite good at distracting myself. So I, I think I use that distraction technique. The difficult thing, as you say, it, it never goes. But the difficult thing is it's the good things in life that remind you that they're not there to share them. Right, 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 right. Yeah. I don't know. Some people might say it's not the healthiest way to like grieve, but I feel like everyone can have their own grieving journey. Yeah. 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 A lot of people don't cry when people die. They just go, right. And they, in a way, they, they shut down their emotions. Yeah, I did not cry. <laughs> mm. <laughs> when my mom died. I mean, like, I, afterward, I, I did, all right? But, like, but like, at that moment, I think I was just like, what should I do next? Like, like, yeah. like the family is like, oh, right, we just so many traditions that we need to follow. Right, what's, what's the next thing? Yeah, you are swamped by admin, aren't you? I mean, I was sort of like a project manager in a way, but it was me and my other siblings. We were all kind of like project managing different things. Yes. So um, would you go back to Tokyo? Oh, I would. I absolutely mm. love Tokyo. Um, and I went back a couple of times afterward. But it's it's not the same when you know compared to the time that you study abroad, uh, you know, <laughs> as a as you know when you were in early twenties. But yeah, but every time when I go back to Malaysia, I feel like the city kept changing and evolving. And Tokyo, the rich culture is always like there, and it just always like I would never once go back and be like, oh man, I used to be able to go here, but they is not they're mm. they're no longer doing it anymore, right? That's always there. Yes. Uh, which it, it, it kind of like a constant in a way. Yeah. Yeah. So, it is a place I've never visited and I really would love to actually. I think that's probably, if you had to say bucket list, that would be on it. Yeah. yeah. Definitely go during like spring, like when cherry blossoms. Oh, wow. That's, yeah. It's like the prettiest like, like time to like go there and then the sky is just snowing with like pink flower mm. petals. It's just great. Yeah. I, I also love the general reserve of the Japanese. The sort mm-hmm. of, and then at the same time, every now and again, something quite bold happens. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. <laughs> yeah. Well, we should put that lovely memory and that time into the time capsule for you so you can revisit. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. You're very welcome. It's been really lovely to discover the things you want to put in a time capsule, Ricky. And I hope you have a fantastic time in London and I will try to get to see the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, uh, it's at Soho Theatre, January mm-hmm. 22nd to 24th uh, at 9pm. Yeah, hopefully people will be able to come check it out. Yes, I'm sure they will. <laughs> Thank you very much. It's been lovely to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. You have been listening to My Time Capsule with me, Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my guest, Ricky Sim. Thank you for listening to what I hope you found a gentle but interesting chat with Ricky. I found him quite charming, and so if you're in the area, I hope to see you at his show in Soho on the 22nd of January. Unless, of course, you're listening to this episode in the middle of the summer in 2037, in which case, please do visit me in the home, where you'll hear all these stories I've told in the podcast all over again, but I'll mess up the punchline. What do you mean I already do? Nurse? Nurse? There's someone in my room. Still, before my demise, do subscribe to this podcast. Downloading it really helps our numbers and, therefore, income. So thanks for doing that. And subscribing will mean you get these episodes as they're released. You might also find you have the time to write a short review or a comment or maybe just rate the podcast. Well, let's face it, you've got the time to listen to me prattle on, so why not write something at the same time? Thank you. The theme tune is available on Spotify where it will sound like this. There you are, you see, it sounds much better without someone talking all over it. Which is, of course, all credit to its writer and performer, Pass the Peas Music. If you're on social media, then why not find me or my time capsule separately and follow us? We're happy to chat on there, so if you have a question, ask away. Although I slightly suspect that question will be, how much longer do these bloody credits go on? This was a cast-off production for Acast, and it was produced by John Fenton Stevens. Right, I hope my ramblings haven't annoyed you. Don't worry, when you visit the old people's home, I'm sure you'll be able to get your own back. And as they say, vengeance is a dish best served cold. Of course, vengeance can become an obsession, so be careful. My wife says I'm obsessed with it. (laughs) Yeah, we'll see about that. Bye. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.